Okay. <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah. It's All a right. sea change. Maybe. Uh, good morning, everyone. It's great for coming to learn. It's good to see everyone. This week, of course, is the uh, 50th anniversary of the Six-Day War in 1967 when the, uh, Medina Sisrael uh, conquered uh, the entirety of Yerushalayim and Yehuda B'Shamron and gained uh, access once again uh, to, uh, to the Harabais and to all of Yerushalayim. And even though uh, in this base matters we don't uh, celebrate that in any ritual uh, sense, any ritual way, and uh, that's my practice as well, but we of course do have uh, deep feelings of Hakar Satoyev, not only to Chayle uh, Tzahal, who defend uh, Eretz Yisrael every single day, uh, but also, of course, to the Rebbeinu Shalalam, who gave us uh, this opportunity uh, to live in these historic times, and we do have access to these Mekayimus HaKadoshim, something which uh, our ancestors for many generations uh, were only able to dream about. So we do have Hakaras HaToyv, and of course, uh, we want to, therefore I wanted to discuss a topic that reflects um, the issues that uh, we, Baruch Hashem, were able to have access once again to the Makam HaMikdash, <coughs> and have the opportunity even to discuss this issue uh, in, a relevant, uh, in a relevant way. But at the same time, there is somewhat of a tension, because of course we are overjoyed with uh, having re- regained access to Yerushalayim, but at the same time, uh, the Beis HaMikdash is still Bechurbano. Uh, and there is uh, a tension uh, that, that is uh, created, that Simcha, of course, is tempered by the fact that we are still living in a time of Churban Beis HaMikdash. And perhaps no topic reflects this tension more uh, than the issue of a uh, rice and kriya when a person comes to the Makam Sakdoshim of Ari Yehuda, of Yushalayim, of, uh, of the Makam HaMikdash. And it, of course, is very relevant for all of us uh, who visit uh, Eretz Yisrael uh, often on a regular basis. So the, the source, uh, the basis for this uh, issue uh, is the Gemara Masechus Ma'idkan and the Gemara tells us that a person who visits Ari Yehuda, the Makam HaMikdash, Yushalayim, after having not been there for 30 days, uh, is obligated to rise Kriya. If he sees him in a state of destruction, he states the recites the Pasik, Ari Midbar, and he uh, rises Kriya. He gets to Yushalayim and it's Bechorbanoi, again recites the Pasuk and his Kriya again to the base Hamikdash Bechorbanoi. Uh, then he, again he recites the Pasuk and he is, uh, he is Kriya. He rises three Kriyas, one at Ari Yehuda, one at Yushalayim. And again at the Makam Hamikdash. Now, typically, we encounter the halachas of Kriya when a person loses a car of Loyalenu, either a parent or Shar Kraven. But there is a difference, uh, many distinctions, uh, practically between the Kriya that a person tears for Shar Kraven and the per- Kriya that a person tears uh, for a parent. For example, if a person is arising Kriya for Shar Kraven, then it's on the right side. If a person is arising Kriya for a parent, it's on the left side. Or uh, if a person is arising Kriya for a Shar Kraven, not a parent, so then it's only a tefach of one garment. That's it. Any garment. However, if you're rising Kriya for the uh, a parent, it's on the left side, and it is not only a tefach, it's all of the garments that a person is wearing. You don't tear the undershirt. The undershirt is a beget zeah. That's not a beget cover, but any, uh, any garment, you know, of course you don't tear the tzitzis, but any garment other than the, the undershirt and the tzitzis, a person will be obligated to tear on the left side, revealing the heart. Or, if a person is rising kriya for shah you could use a kli, you could use a scissor. If you're using, uh, if it's for a parent, you start it with a scissor, but then, of course, it has to be biyad. Or, if it's shah then you could do it in private. If it's uh, for a parent, it can be, uh, it has to be in public. Or, if it's shah then if you switch your shirt, you're not obligated to tear kriya on the new shirt. But if it's for a parent, if a person switches his shirt, 
He's obligated to tear, let's say, switches the shirt throughout Shiva. He's uh, obligated to rice kriya on the new shirt. And finally, there's a difference that if a person is a rice and kriya for Sharkraven, on the right side, only one garment, only a tefa, he's allowed to sew it up. You'll have to be ma'ach the kera. However, if it's for a parent, one is not allowed to be uh, ma'ach the kera liyolam. That uh, kara has to remain torn. So what is the nature of this kriya that we uh, tear for Ari Yehuda, for Yushalayim, for the Makam HaMikdash? Is that like a kriya comparable to the kriya of a Sharkraven, comparable to the kriya of a parent. So this seems to be a machlek between the Ramam and the Ravid. The Ramam writes in Parakei of Hilchas Tainus when he addresses these issues, So the Ramam writes, you're obligated uh, to tear with your hand uh, all the garments that you're wearing until you reveal the heart, on the left side, obviously. So the Ramam seems to compare it to the, uh, to the Kriya that a person would tear for a parent. And the Ravid disagrees, Loinira came in a Gamara, that it's not compared to the Kriya for Abba it does bear one similarity in that you're not allowed to uh, sew it up, li'olam, but for all other issues, it was not compared to the Kriya for a parent that you have to tear off the garments, it would only be the upper garment and the person would only have to tear a tefach and presumably would be then on the right side and not on the left side. How do we pass him with regards to this issue, like the Ramam or the Ravid? So it's a steer in Shulchan Aruch. The, uh, seems to be a steer in Shulchan Aruch. The Shulchan Aruch writes uh, in one place over here, Gimel, Kol Kriya Tefach. All you have to tear for these Makaymas uh, is a Tefach. However, then the Shulchan Aruch which implies that it's a Kriya like Shah Kravim. Only one garment and a Tefach. Then the Shulchan Aruch writes, Kol Akram Ho'eh will be Yadu You have to do it with your hand and standing up. V'Kareya Kol Ksusa Shal You have to tear all of the garments until you reveal your heart. That, that, that seems to imply that it's uh, comparable to the Kriya that we tear for parents. So Rekiva Ego already notes this uh, it's apparent contradiction in the Shulchan Aruch. Some Sefer claims it's not a contradiction, it's rather a hybrid. It is on one uh, aspect, like the Kriya for, uh, for Shah Krovim, all you have to do is tear a Tefach, but it would have to be uh, all the garments on the left side till you reveal your heart. So it, it's somewhere in between. Uh, a kriya of shakravim and a kriya of a parent, but that's uh, somewhat difficult to accept. It doesn't really fit into the categories that we're accustomed to. So Rebekah Eger claims, and in fact, it is a stira in the Shulchan Aruch. Whether we pass it like the Ramam or the Ravid, is comparable to a kriya for shakravim, a kriya to, for a parent. And practically speaking, since the whole issue is uh, an issue, the Rabban on the Paiskim uh, right over here, the Suffolk, the Rabban on the Kula, and that's the practice of most, is that uh, when they go to these places, uh, and we'll see even for those who rise Kriya in all of these places, um, you, you only do it on the right side, like Shachrevim, on the right side, only a Tefach, and only uh, the upper garment, one garment, you don't have to do Kol uh, B'Gadam Sha'alav, and if you switch your garment later on, you don't have to rise Kriya on the, uh, on the new garment. Even though all of these Kriyas, whether it's Ari Yehuda, whether it's Yushalayim, whether it's the Makam HaMikdash, are equated with the Kriya for Shachrevim, and they seem to all be uh, comparable in that regard, there does seem to be a difference in severity and intensity between each one of these uh, places. And this is reflected by the Gemara back in Ois Aleph, where the Gemara told us in the fourth line, the end of the line, that Korea al Mikdash, Umaisif al Yushalayim. You tear rice kriya for the Makhma Mikdash, and then you don't tear a new kriya for Yushalayim, you just add on to the old uh, tear. Add a little bit for Yushalayim. So the Gemara is a contradiction. The first of all, from the previous statement of the Gemara, it sounded like you tear three kriyas. You tear for Ari Yehuda, you then you get to Yushalayim, you tear for Yushalayim, then you get to the Makam Mikdash, you tear for the Makam Mikdash. It doesn't sound like you're just adding on to the same kriya, it sounds like you're tearing a new kriya. So the Gemara then quotes a Bryce Minu, Echad Echad Whether a person hears or a person sees, 
This discussing Yerushalayim. Whether you heard about the Chorban Yerushalayim or you saw a Chorban Yerushalayim, once you get to Tzayfim, which Rashi claims is a place right outside Yerushalayim, perhaps corresponding to Haratzofim, I don't know. And Tysus claims it means any place, it's a lookout, any place uh, in the vicinity of Yerushalayim where you could look out over onto the Chorban Yerushalayim, uh, not a specific place, then you uh, would uh, rise Korea there. But Korea al Migdash, Bifne Atzmo, Val Yushalayim, Bifne Atzmo. You tear for Yushalayim, one Korea, and then uh, for the Makamai Migdash, a second Korea. So it's not that you're, you tear for the Migdash and you're Moise for Yushalayim. Rather, you tear for one, and then a second Korea for the other. So the Mara resolves, Lokasha, Hadapagab and Migdash Beresha, if you see the Makamai Migdash first, then you're Moise for Yushalayim. You don't have to tear a new Korea. But if you see Yushalayim first, then you get to the Makam HaMikdash, then you cannot just be Moisif, you have to tear an entirely new Kriya. So if you see the Makam HaMikdash, then you go to Yushalayim, then all you have to do is be Moisif. If you see Yushalayim and then the Makam HaMikdash, then you have to tear uh, an additional Kriya. And the same will be true with regards to the Ari Yehuda. If you get to the Ari Yehuda, then you see Yushalayim, so you tear one Kriya for the Ari Yehuda, one Kriya for Yushalayim, and then a third Kriya for the Makam HaMikdash, as reflected in the earlier statement of the Gemara. Uh, but if you go in the reverse, you saw the Makam HaMikdash, all you have to do is you tear one Kriya there, be moisif for Yushalayim, and then Ari Yehuda, you don't actually have to tear at all. Because it says over here in the Shulchan Aruch, that once you tear for Yushalayim, Yushalayim is itself one of the Ari Yehuda. So once you tear for your Yushalayim, you don't have to tear it all for the Ari Yehuda. Yushalayim itself is one of the Ari Yehuda. So this uh, distinction about how you uh, approach the areas, if you approach it from Ari Yehuda to Shalim to the Makam HaMikdash, you tear three Kriyas. If you approach it from the Makam HaMikdash, uh, that's the first place that you see. Then you get to Yushalayim. All you have to do is be mice. If you get to Ari Yehuda, you don't have to tear at all. seems to correspond uh, to Allah that we're familiar with with regards to the Kriya that we have for Shah Krovim and for a parent. Yeah? The Makam HaMikdash also Yushalayim? The same as Farah? Yeah, may, but they might be two separate Kriyas. Might be two separate themes. The Gemara tells us in Masechus Ma'idkain over here, Oiz Hey, what if Loyaleno person is confronted with a situation where Amrula Mace Aviv, his parent dies, Vikara, he tears Korea, then Mace Benoy, they let him know that his child uh, passes away. So that's Shar Kravim. So then all you have to do is be Maisif onto the Korea that he already tore for his parent as long as it's Taich Shiva. Mace Benoy, he heard that his son passed away. Vikara, he tears Kriya. Mace Aviv, then he's Taich Shiva. They let him know that his father died. Vahoyse, if all you have to do is be Maisef on the first Kriya for, uh, that he tore for the Shah Kravim. What if Mace Aviv, Mace Imo, Mace Achav, Mace Achaisa, Shah Kravim together with a parent? They all, he finds out about it all at once. Kareya, Kara, Echelukua. And then it's one Kriya for all of them together, one composite Kriya. That's the opinion of the Tanakhama. However, if Yehudim and Becerra Oimer, and this is how we paskin, Al Kuan, Kara, Echon, you need a Kriya for each one independently. For his parents, one Kriya, and for the Shah Krevin, one Kriya. If they let you know together that Shah Krevin passed away and Avivimo passed away, then a person only cannot suffice with one Kriya, one composite for both. He has to tear two Kriyas. They seem to be of differing levels of intensity and uh, different th- they're different in, in nature and in, entirely. So the Kriya for Shah Krevin cannot be combined uh, with the Kriya of a parent. And indeed, the Gemara continues, why is that the case? A parent's uh, Kriya cannot just be a, an afterthought, it cannot be a Tosefes unto the Kriya of Shah Kravim. So if a person, and this is the way we pass it in the Shulchan Aruch, if a person finds out both Shah Kravim and a parent at the same time, he needs two Kriyas. And if he finds out about uh, Shah Kravim first, 
than a parent, he needs an entirely new Kriya, because that's a differing, a more intense, uh, a severe level of Kriya. If, though, the order is the reversed, he finds out about a parent, then he finds out about Shah Kravim, then it's enough if he's just Moisif, because the, the Kriya for the parent is more intense, and he gets to the lesser, uh, less severe Kriya for that for Shah Kravim, he could just be Moisif on the Kriya of a parent. So that seems... huh? Even though Shah Kravim normally is not on the leg. See, right, so but yeah, correct. That's not my if you're be most of on the Kriya for a parent. So that seems to be reflected. If he hears about Shakravim, then he hears about Abba Vimai, Taich Shiva, he cannot get away with the same Kriya, he have to tear a whole new Kriya. If it's Abba Vimai, Taich Shiva, he hears about Shakravim, he could just be Moisif on the Kriya of his parents. So that's why he says Akulon and then Abba Vimai. It's actually a three way Machlek, so we showed him how to understand that Gemara. I, that's the Ramam sheet, and that's how we pass him. But this is reflected in these, uh, it's because it's vague. It's not clear what exactly is Rabbi Hudabim Sarah arguing about. So, but this is this seems to be reflected in in, in uh, halachas with regards to Ari Yehuda Yushalayim and the Makom Hamikdash as well. It seems to be that when a person starts at the Makom Hamikdash, uh, that's like Avi Imoi vis a vis Yushalayim. So, therefore, if uh, you start at the Makom Hamikdash, then you get to Yushalayim. So, then the Makom Hamikdash is like Avi Imoi. Yushalayim is like Shah Kravim, so it's enough if you're just Moisif. But if you're coming the other or uh, progression, the other uh, direction, so you're coming from Ari Yehuda, you talk Kriya, then you get to Yushalayim. So it's not enough just to be Moisif. At that point, you have to tear a whole new Kriya because uh, Yushalayim, Vizavi, Ari Yehuda, is like Abba V'imah. It's a more intense, more severe form of Kriya. And then when you get to the Makkah Migdash, that's even more intense than Yushalayim. You cannot just be Moisif on the Kriya for Yushalayim. You have to tear an entire new Kriya because the Makkah Migdash, Vizavi, Yushalayim, is like Abba V'imah, and Yushalayim uh, would be like Shakravim. For that reason, uh, there's a uh, Hanhaga that's called in the name of the Chazanish. Um, that he, uh, his practice was when visiting uh, the Makhma Mikdash, so instead of tearing two Kriyas uh, for, uh, for uh, Yushalayim, and then the Makhma Mikdash, what he would do is uh, hide his eyes, uh, not see the old city of Yushalayim, and then when he got to the Makhma Mikdash, uh, he would open his eyes and see the Makhma Mikdash uh, together with Yushalayim all at once. There's actually a Machlekes. Uh, what do you have to see in the Makam HaMikdash in order to be obligated to tear, uh, to tear Kriya? All we have in the Gemara is you saw the Makam HaMikdash, but what is that referring to specifically? So the Bach writes, it's enough if you see the Dome of the Rock. You see the Dome of the Rock, that obviously represents Korban Beis HaMikdash, it's a, a mosque built in the Makam HaMikdash, so that's enough uh, to rise Kriya. Moshe writes that you see the Kaisel too, that's enough uh, to rise Kriya. Even though the Kaisel is the one last remaining wall that is still built, uh, that also represents the fact that this is the only wall and the rest of it has been destroyed and therefore uh, you can rise Kriya. They quote in the name of the Briskirav, he was mocked to see, no, the un, you should see this specifically the parts of the Harabais that are unbuilt, that are bichorbanan, there's nothing there. So he was mocked to see the, the Azara, you know, the, the, the empty spaces on the Harabais. So in order to do that, you'd have to go up to the upper, uh, higher, higher elevations around the uh, around the Harabais, or go to Harazasim, from there you could see uh, the, the, the floor of the Azara, and that's where the Briskorov was mocked with, uh, before tearing Kriya, to see the, the Azara, not to uh, suffice with the, with the Kaiso or with, the, uh, or with the, the, uh, the Dome of the Rock. Practically speaking, I'm most uh, would tear Kriya on, on any of these, because they all represent, uh, for all of us, the, the Churban, Churban Beis HaMikdash. So the Chazanish, though, would hide his eyes from the Old City, or if you go to Harazasim, he didn't walk through the Old City of Yushalayim, he saw together uh, the Makam Mikdash together with uh, the Old City of Yushalayim all at once, he would tear one composite Kriya for both. So that's somewhat uh, difficult uh, to accept.
or to justify. Why? Because it seems that these are differing levels of kriya, of intensity of severity. So just like a person, we paskin, a person who hears about shakravim, together with hearing about a parent, cannot suffice with one composite kriya. He has to tear one kriya for the parent, one kriya for the shakravim, because the parent cannot be combined with the kriya of a shakravim. So, so too, it seems, uh, as we, we described, the Makam HaMikdash and Yushalayim seem to be of differing levels of intensity and severity, and therefore it's hard to accept that they could be combined into one composite kriya. Correct. Here we don't differentiate between That's true, but at the same time, just like, and it's true, you're right. We treat it all like Shakravim, but it does seem to be that there's distinctions between them. That's why when you get to Yehuda, you one Kriya, you get to Shalim, another Kriya, you get to Makhlamid, it's the third Kriya. So it does seem like they are, they, they do differ from one another in the level of intensity and severity. So to get away with one composite Kriya uh, seems, uh, seems somewhat uh, difficult uh, to accept. So we have these three kriyas that a person uh, tears are Yehuda, Yushalayim, the Makam Mikdash, and they seem, even though we treat them like Shara, uh, Kravim, it's all on the right side, just a tefach, you could switch your garment after you tore kriya, you don't have to tear kriya in the new garment. Uh, we, we treat it like Shara, Kravim, there is this differing uh, level of intensity between the three, the three different areas. But do we practice, should we continue to practice, uh, given development since uh, 1967, the Six-Day War, that we uh, now uh, have access and control of uh, some of these areas, should we c- continue uh, to rise Kriya nowadays, uh, Bismanazeh? So we certainly don't have a base Hamikdash, so one would uh, clearly be obligated. I agree. Okay, we'll get to your point. So clear the Makam Hamikdash, one would continue to be obligated to rise Kriya at the Makam Hamikdash. Uh, it seems to be a reflection of the fact that Churban Beis Hamikdash and and despite all of the uh, developments, we, we still do not have a base of Mikdash Bibinyana, and one will continue to be obligated to take Kriya in the Makam Mikdash. That's Kemat Belichalik. However, what about, uh, what about uh, tearing Kriya, rising Kriya for the Ari Yehuda and for Yerushalayim? So, why is it that Ari Yehuda are singled out from the rest of Eretz Yisrael that one has to rise Kriya for them? So, one uh, possibility is suggested by the Pasa Shulchan. The Pasa Shulchan was one of the Talmudim of the Grah, of Yisrael of Shklov who uh, came to Eretz Yisrael and wrote a sefer describing many of the halachas that pertain only to Eretz Yisrael. And he has, there's a body of the text, and then he wrote his own commentary on the side of the text. So he quotes this halacha there, that a person who sees Ari Yehuda is obligated to rise Kriya, and then he explains in his own ha'aris that why is that? The Sham Yisrael. That was the seat of the Jewish government. So since this was the seat of the Jewish government, and now there's no longer a Jewish government that's reigning in, uh, in Ari Yehuda, one would be obligated uh, to rise Kriya. And this seems to be the opinion of the Bach as well, because the Bach writes, even if you have a city in Ari Yehuda that is settled uh, by Jews, that is built up, at the same time, one will be obligated to rise Kriya because it's under the control of the Umas Ha'ilam. Even if there's a built city, that's called in a state of destruction. Until it's being controlled uh, by a Jewish government, that's called in a state of Chorbanon, and that's quoted uh, by the Mishnah Bura. So that seems uh, to be, that, it's be uh, that seems to reflect, again, the same premise, that why is it that we tear Kriya of the Ari Yehuda more so than other cities in Eretz Yisrael? Because that was uh, the seat of the Jewish government, and therefore if it's being controlled by a non-Jewish government, one would be obligated to, uh, to rise Kriya. What about uh, in recent times, and now, uh, Baruch Hashem, these uh, areas are con- controlled by Jews, we want to still be obligated to rise Kriya, so Reb Zevin writes in the Sefer Moedim Balacha, that nowadays uh, he's writing a post-1967, uh, one would not be obligated to rise Kriya, because Baruch Hashem, they are controlled, these areas are controlled uh, by, uh, by Jews. Others disagreed with this conclusion of Rabbi Zevin uh, for two reasons. Uh, one is, 
that one, we have to confront the reality that even though these areas are controlled by Jews, it is far from a Jewish government. It's not governed by halacha uh, or by Torah. It is Jews, for the most part, in the government, uh, but it is not governed by, uh, it's not a Jewish government in the sense that it's not governed by Jewish principles. So should that necessarily be considered bibinyana, the fact that there happen to be Jews that are, in, you know, Jews in the government when it's not a, uh, or government con- controlled by Jews when it's not necessarily a Jewish government. Is that good enough to call it uh, Bibinyana? Rabbi Zevin's assumption is that it is. Others uh, are not uh, as convinced. Even though, even if we will say that a government that is controlled by Jews, even though if it's not a Jewish government, it's governed by Allah, but it's a government that's controlled by Jews, is good enough, uh, they quote in the name of the stipler that our government in Eretz Israel is not even controlled by Jews, it's controlled by the Americans, and uh, the Israeli state is somehow you know, uh, a puppet state of the, of the Americans. So well, that argument uh, is out there uh, is out there as well. But I think that there is definitely uh, sufficient grounds to argue that it is controlled Baruch Hashem by Jews, and perhaps that could be called Bibin Yana, and therefore one would not be obligated. Perhaps according to the Bach and the Pasuk Shochan, there is a definitely line of argument to conclude that one would not be obligated to tear Kriya rise Kriya on the Are uh, on the Are Yehuda. Uh, nowadays. However, there is another perspective as to why is it that Ari Yehuda was singled out from all of the other cities in Eretz Yisrael. And that is the Lovush. The Lovush writes that the reason why we rise Kriya for the Ari Yehuda is because Shehem Kroivim Yerushalayim. It's because it's in closer proximity to Yerushalayim than the other areas of Eretz Yisrael. So if Jolti and his Sefer, the Mishnah Siyavitz, understood that the Lovush here is disagreeing fundamentally with the Bach and the Pasa Shochan, and that the reason why the Ari Yehuda were singled out is not because it was the seat of the Jewish government, it's because of its uh, proximity to Yushalayim and its uh, measure of Kedushas Hamikdash that perhaps seeps out from Yushalayim and expands perhaps to the Ari Yehuda. He in, uh, interpreted the comment of the Luvush in light of the Gemara Mesech the Sanhedrin, where the Gemara tells us in Sanhedrin that one is only able to be Ma'aber the Shana be Yehuda. Why? So the Gemara quotes from the Pesach and Parashat Sireh, Because those who are searching for a Kaddish Baruch Hu should come there. When you search for Kaddish Baruch Hu, you should come to the place of the Shechina, uh, and that's why you can only be Ma'abed Shana in Yehuda. So what is this referring to? What specific location is it referring to? So Rashi writes that it's referring to Yerushalayim. That's the Makam of the Shechina, which ha- Yerushalayim happens to be in Yehuda. But of course you cannot be Ma'abed Shana in the Ara Yehuda, the cities of Yehuda. The only place you can be Ma'abed Shana is in Yerushalayim. However, the Yad Ramah, and this is the opinion of the Rambam as well, disagrees. And the Yad Ramah argues, if it meant Yerushalayim, it should have said Yerushalayim. What does it say? Tan Rabbanan, in Ma'abed HaShashanah, over Yehuda. Should have said, in Yerushalayim. Well, Mestabed, in Kemi Yerushalayim, Iboyle. Should have said Yerushalayim. Rather, Mestabed, the Akula Eretz Yehuda Kai. It's going on all of the cities of Yehuda. The Akula Eretz Yehuda, Shechino Shomokai Mikri. All of Eretz Yehuda is considered to be the place of the Shechina. May Acher the Havi Beis Hamikdash Begavo. Since the Beis Hamikdash is in Yerushalayim, and Yerushalayim is in the Ari Yehuda, the Akula Chad and Nachlehi Vechad Chaluchuka Hida Havoi. It's all one uh, swath, one uh, big uh, section, one area of land. Therefore, all of Ari Yehuda is endowed with a certain Kedushas Hamikdash as well. And Zolti interprets this in light of also of a Mishnah Misachlis Kelim, and the Mishnah tells us in Kelim not only does Eretz Yisrael enjoy a Kedusha. That's inherent to all of Eretz Yisrael. And, uh, for that reason, we bring Truman Maisa from Eretz Yisrael. Shvius is only knowing in Eretz Yisrael. This is inherent Kedusha to Eretz Yisrael. But there's a second layer, a second aspect to the Kedusha of Eretz Yisrael, and that is that it's the land in which the Beis Hamikdash is housed. So Yushalayim also not only has a Kedusha to Eretz Yisrael in its own right, but it also has a, 
it's superimposed with the Kedushas HaMikdash, by virtue of the fact that the Mikdash is in, Yush- and that, uh, in Yushalayim, and which is uh, in turn in Eretz Yisrael. And that uh, intensifies, as you move closer to the Makam HaMikdash, that Kedusha intensifies. All of Eretz Yisrael enjoys a certain Kedushas HaMikdash, Yushalayim uh, more, and of course the Harabais uh, even more than that. But perhaps Ari Yehuda also enjoys a more intense form of Kedushas HaMikdash, by virtue of its proximity uh, to Yushalayim, uh, to, to, to the Makam HaMikdash itself. This is perhaps reflected in a well-known Gemara, where the Gemara tells us which direction should a person daven when he's davening Shmon Esrei. So the Gemara says you're supposed to daven, if you're in Chutz you daven towards Eretz Yisrael. If you're in Eretz Yisrael, you daven towards Yushalayim. If you're in Yushalayim, you daven towards the Harabayas. If you're standing on the Harabayas, uh, then you daven towards the Kodesh HaKadoshim. Why not just say you always daven wherever you are in the world, daven towards the Kodesh HaKadoshim? Why does it say if you're in Chutz we can't fit you know, just say, towards the Kodesh HaKadoshim, we'll figure, we know where the Kodesh HaKadoshim is, and you'll, you'll daven in that direction. Why does it say, uh, you know, the, all of this progression? So Mepharshim explained on the Mishnah that it's because uh, all of these uh, areas enjoy some <coughs> level of Kedusha HaMikdash. You're always supposed to daven towards the Kodesh HaKadoshim, that's only if you're in uh, the, the area that's removed from the Kodesh HaKadoshim, the Harabais. If you're in Yushalayim, you daven towards the next uh, intense uh, level of Kedusha HaMikdash, that's the Harabais. If you're in Eretz Yisrael, you daven towards Yushalayim. If you're in Chutzar, you daven towards Eretz Yisrael, because each one of these areas enjoys some measure of Kedusha Samikdash and you're always supposed to dive into the, uh, mm. towards uh, the, the most, uh, the closest, more intense form of Kedusha Samikdash. So in Chutzlars is towards Eretz Yisrael because there is some measure of Kedusha Samikdash superimposed on Eretz Yisrael. So uh, it could be that that's why we tear Kriya specifically in the Ari Yehuda more so than the other cities of Eretz Yisrael because it enjoys a certain Kedusha Samikdash by virtue of its proximity to Yushalayim and, uh, and uh, the Harabayas. So if that's the case, so since uh, nowadays, again, we do not have a Beis HaMikdash, so, uh, and if the tearing Kriya for the Ari Yehuda is by virtue of the fact that it's a proximity to the Makwa HaMikdash, then it stands to reason that one would be obligated to rise Kriya even for the Ari Yehuda uh, nowadays. Rav Targachinsky writes, in a Sefer Eretz Yisrael, we discusses many of these issues as well, that our de- and nowadays our meaning is not to rise Kriya for the Ari Yehuda. And I think, I believe this was written before 1967. So, after 1967, we mentioned there is an argument to say that the reason we write Kriya for the does not because of its, uh, nothing to do with its proximity to the Makam HaMikdash, is because that was the seat of the Jewish government. So nowadays, one could argue that since our government is controlled by Jews, that one would not be obligated to write Kriya on the Yehuda. He says, even prior to that, or even if we won't accept that argument, you accept the argument of the Levush, that the reason why we rise Kriya and Ari Yehuda is because of their proximity to the Makam HaMikdash, in which case that should continue to apply nowadays, Rav Tarkachinsky writes that for two reasons we don't rise Kriya and Ari Yehuda. First of all, we're not sure what exactly was the ancestral Ari Yehuda. Uh, so that's uh, one uh, issue that you have to contend with. The second issue is we never approach uh, Yerushalayim, or most of us don't approach uh, the Makam HaMikdash uh, or Yerushalayim from the Ari Yehuda. The Ari Yehuda are in the south. Uh, most of us don't approach uh, Yerushalayim from that direction. Most of us approach Yerushalayim uh, from the west, from the airport. So we come to Yerushalayim, and then if we want to travel to the Ari Yehuda, we'll, we'll travel out of Yerushalayim south, let's say, towards, uh, towards Hebron. Then you'd pass through the Ari Yehuda. But you already encountered Yerushalayim. So we already mentioned the halacha, that if a person went through Yerushalayim, or the Makam HaMikdash certainly, and then he goes to the Ari Yehuda, so there's no obli- second, secondary obligation to rise Kriya for the Ari Yehuda. Because the Yerushalayim is also one of the Ari Yehuda. And once you rise Kriya for Yerushalayim and the Makam HaMikdash, you don't do so uh, subsequently for the Ari Yehuda. So since none of us ever encountered the Ari Yehuda uh, first, so Tarkachinsky claims that uh, practically we never encounter 
we never encounter the issue. But Lamaisa, uh, even for those who follow the Levush, even if we would uh, you know, encounter the Ari Yehuda first before getting to Yerushalayim, uh, most of us would not tear Kriya. The minig is to say something to Rabbanon Lakula again and not to rice Kriya uh, for the Ari Yehuda in our times. What about rising Kriya for Yerushalayim in our times that it is, uh, Baruch Hashem, controlled uh, by Jews? So Moshe writes in the Igris Moshe that one would not be obligated to rise Kriya uh, after Yerushalayim is now under the control of Jews. He writes, Even though, of course, we do not have a base on Migdash, we should not uh, rise Kriya for Yerushalayim because of the Chesed of the Kaddish Baruch it is now under our control. It's not under control of the Musayilam. So Moshe writes, you are obligated to rise uh, Kriya for, uh, you are, I'm sorry, you're not obligated to rise Kriya for Yerushalayim because it is under Jewish control. So Moshe seems to be assuming uh, that the reason why we rise Kriya for Yerushalayim is not because of its proximity to the Makam HaMikdash or because it's the city that houses the Beis HaMikdash. Again, it's because it was the capital of the Jewish state. And since uh, nowadays uh, the area is controlled by Jews again, so Moshe claims, therefore, one would not be uh, obligated uh, to rise Kriya. Roshama Zalman again throws a. Uh, huh? When did he write this? This Chuva, I don't know. I didn't check the date. Presumably after. It's in, it's, yeah, it's in the later volumes of the Igor's Moshe. It's after 67. Yeah. Yeah. But if you'll see. Oh, we'll get to that in a second. We'll get to that in a second. Let's say. Oh. It's a good point. But let's say uh, the Ari Yehuda, and now we, we said in 1967, was, was, we conquered, I, we forgot to mention it when we discussed Ari Yehuda, post-67 we, we regained control of Yehuda Shamron and all of Yushalayim, but let's say after Begin, when he gave control back to the Palestinian Authority in certain areas of Yehuda Shamron, so you get to, let's say, an area that's controlled, I don't know all the areas, there's area A, B, and C, but there are some that are totally under the control of Palestinian Authority, so many would argue that in those areas of the Ari Yehuda, Perhaps we'll be obligated to rise Kriya. I don't think we've relinquished total control of any area of Yerushalayim. So, but if there would be, a, if we would, uh, we would relinquish control of a certain area of Yerushalayim entirely. I don't think there is an area we've if totally relinquished control. Go on your bathing suit, basically. What? If you live in the Shtachim, you should basically go in your bathing suit. Go in your bathing suit? Why? Well, so you don't have to rise Kriya? <laughs> no, only once every 30 days. Once every 30 days. And if you live there, you don't have to. So, but again, yeah, it's true. If you would get to those cities of Ari Yehuda, which we've totally relinquished control, one would be obligated to rise Kriya. But in Yerushalayim, also, where Moshe says, if we would relinquish control, or there would be areas that are totally uh, autonomously ruled by the, by the Arabs, then we would be obligated to rise Kriya in those places. But I don't think that that is true. I think we control all of, uh, all of Yerushalayim. Again, though, even by working with the assumption of Ramayusha that the reason why we rise Kriya in Yerushalayim is because it's the capital city of the Jewish state, and nowadays it is controlled by Jews, you wouldn't be obligated to tear Kriya. Roshon Mazalman again throws a monkey wrench into that assumption, uh, and he says, even if that's true, um, but, but who's to say we really are in control of Yerushalayim? We're afraid to remove uh, the Bati of Odezar that exists in Yerushalayim. There's a house of worship for other religions. There's Kivrei Akum. So Shomaz Alman claims our control is really compromised by all of the, uh, the, the, the issues that are uh, at large within the world. So therefore, Shomaz Alman claims since our control over these areas is uh, compromised, so therefore, uh, perhaps we, we shouldn't even con- uh, call it uh, under Jewish control, and therefore one perhaps would be obligated to continue to tear Kriya for Yerushalayim. Yeah. One could argue, and uh, there are those who do that, uh, Stipler clearly was at that, was at the, that, uh, that uh, orientation, that the reason why one has to tear Kriya for Yerushalayim is not because it was the capital city 
of the Jewish state. The reason why you have to rise clear for Yerushalayim is because it was the city that housed the Makam Amikdash. So since we no longer have a Makam Amikdash, one will uh, continue to be obligated uh, to rise Kriya, uh, to rise Kriya for Yerushalayim. And that, uh, that, that, that uh, perspective is out there as well. Again, though, practically speaking, most don't tear Kriya, they follow Ramosha, most do not tear Kriya for Yerushalayim. Again, even though one could have argued the reason why you tear Kriya for Yerushalayim is because of its uh, proximity to the Makam Amikdash, the city that houses the base Amikdash, and everyone would be obligated to tear Kriya nowadays. Um, and one could argue we really don't have autonomous control of Yerushalayim, but again, the whole issue is one of the Rabbanon. We'd say uh, Suffolk, the Rabbanon, Lakula, and most don't have the practice, uh, or some do, obviously, Shlomo Zalman sounds like you should, but uh, practically speaking, most don't have the practice of tearing Kriya uh, for Yerushalayim, and we only continue to tear Kriya, though, uh, for the Makam Hamikdash. But the, that is an uh, inconvenience as well. Is there, uh, is there ways of avoiding uh, the, well, quote-unquote, the inconvenience of uh, tearing Kriya uh, for the Makam HaMikdash? So there are, uh, there are those uh, who, who attempt uh, to avoid this by uh, visiting uh, the Makam HaMikdash, let's say, uh, on Shabbos or on Yom Tif for the first time. Once you visit the Makam HaMikdash, so you, you don't have to tear uh, rice Kriya unless you haven't been there for 30 days. But if it's within 30 days of the last time you were there, you don't have to rise Kriya. So let's say I come for the first time on Shabbos and Yom Tif. There's no Kriya on Shabbos and Yom Tif. Or if you come on a Chalamoid. So even though if a person loses a Karvalo, he tears Kriya on Chalamoid, but, uh, but that's only uh, because it just happened. It's, it's a new information. But if a person hears about the fact that he lost a Karv and a Shmur Rechaik, it happened over 30 days ago, you don't tear Kriya on Chalamoid for Shachrovim. Uh, it's apparent you do, but Shachrovim not. So if you hear about it after 30 days, there's no Kriya. Uh, so, so to over here, the Avelus for Yushalayim is a Shmuel Rechaika. It happened a long time ago. So one would not be obligated, perhaps, to tear Kriya if he uh, visited uh, the Makam Mikdash on Chalamoid. So a person comes, Chalamoid, he comes, Shabbos and Yamtiv. He's not going to be obligated to tear Kriya. And then now he, he exempted himself. He could come back the rest of his trip. He doesn't have to tear Kriya the rest of the time because he was there uh, previously already within, within 30 days. So that should work. I mean, it should exempt you from the obligation to tear Kriya. But Shlomo Zalman writes that this is not proper. Shlomo Zalman says that the reason uh, why you don't tear Kriya on Shabbos, uh, the reason why we don't tear Kriya on Chalamoid, we don't take Kriya on Shabbos and Yamtev because it's a malacha, but the reason why we don't take Kriya on Chalamoid is because it's, uh, there's no Avelos, really, on, on Yamtev. You're not supposed to be Mitzayim. We, uh, we can't experience the Avelos, but at the same time that we're experiencing the Simcha of Yamtev. So Sato Shom says, why would you orchestrate your visit, um, you put on your itinerary to visit the Makam Amikdash for the first time on Chalamoid? It's supposed to generate feelings of distress, of pain, of grief. Why would you want to do that on, uh, on Chalamoid, on the Shabbos or Yamtev? That seems to undermine uh, the, the, the Simcha of Yamtev and uh, the experience that a person is supposed to have on Shabbos. So Shom Zalman says it would exempt you from uh, rising Kriya, but uh, it's, uh, it's not proper in that it compromises Simchas, uh, simchas Yamtev. Another, uh, perhaps, possibility of avoiding the obligation to, tear, to rise Kriya is if a person borrows someone else's garment. It's not your garment. How, how can you tear Kriya? So the truth of the matter is, if let's say a person is going to visit a sick relative in the hospital, and he asks his friend, can I borrow your shirt? I'm going to visit my sick relative. I don't know, all my shirts are dirty, and I wanna, I'm going to visit him in the hospital, and he's uh, in a life, you know, he's... Uh, he might pass away, life-threatening situation. But I, wanna, I need to go visit him. Can I borrow your shirt to go visit him? And then let's say the person passes away. So it says in the Shulchan Aruch, you're allowed to rise Kriya even though it's not your shirt. Because you told your friend why you were borrowing the shirt to visit your deathly uh, ill relative in the hospital. He obviously understood when he lent you the shirt, there's a possibility that, um, 
that he might pass away and you'll have to tear Kriya. So he lent it to you, having that in mind, that you're going to be happy, he knows you're from Jew, and if the person passes away, you're going to tear Kriya. So he lent it to you, having that in mind. So, so to the price can say, if you borrow a shirt to go visit the Kaiso, person knows you're from Jews, and he lent you the shirt to go visit the Kaiso. Obviously, he knew you were going to tear Kriya, and you have permission to tear Kriya, even though it's not your shirt. But let's say the person says, no, I'm specifically lending you the shirt, and you do not have my permission uh, to tear Kriya on the shirt, so you're right, it might uh, exempt you from uh, tearing Kriya on that shirt, Sternbach writes in the Mayodim Ismanim, who's to say you don't have to go buy a t-shirt in some vendor and uh, on which to tear Kriya there's a mitzvah to tear Kriya out of our grief for Chorim Beis Hamikdash. so Sternbach claims that perhaps one would uh, be obligated to obtain a shirt uh, on, which, uh, on which, to, which to tear Kriya, so it's not entirely clear that that exempts one from rising Kriya uh, and either way, it's only if uh, you borrow a shirt that the person explicitly tells you, you know, I don't want you to tear Kriya, or you go on Shabbos or Yom Tif. If you go Erev Shabbos after Chatzos, uh, or you go on a Chavrash it's not any clear at all that one is not mm-hmm. obligated to tear Kriya, because if you lose a Karov at these uh, points in time, one would be obligated to rise Kriya. So it's not clear. Huh? Hanukkah also. Uh, not clear. It's not posh. It's not discussed exclusively, but it's not clear that that would exempt you from tearing Kriya. sure it is enough if you could. No, just one. It's like chakra. The one that is closer to the heart. Oh, uh, no, the right side. It's like chakra. No, I mean, shirt or jacket. If you wear a shirt, you could tear the jacket or the shirt. You could pick one. Only a parent would tear both. Uh-huh. It's only a parent who tear both. One final ha'ara is Lainia's daiti is that the reason why many don't tear Kriya for the Ari Yehuda, for Yerushalayim, as we discussed, is because those Baruch Hashem are under uh, control, controlled by Jews. And many assume that since it's controlled by Jews, that that is considered to be Bibinyanoi, that the reason why we taught Kriya in Yerushalayim is because it was the capital city, the Yehuda, that was the seat of the Jewish government. And since they're controlled by Jews nowadays, one would not be obligated to rise Kriya, or at least we'd say Suffolk to Rabbanon Lakula. He wouldn't be obligated to rise Kriya as opposed to the Makam Amikdash, where we continue to, to tear Kriya. But what will happen if uh, the Jewish government, out of some uh, negotiation for peace, will give up some of these territories in their entirety? They'll give up some of the Ari Yehuda or relinquish control of Yerushalayim. So the Gemara told us, back in Ois Aleph, that not only a person who sees these places, but a person who hears about it is also obligated to rise Kriya. So the Rashash and that Gemara asked, what do you mean he hears about it? The Gemara was, uh, was uh, completed uh, after the Chorim Beis HaMikdash. So who is, who is just hearing for the first time? You know, it's a really slow mail. You know, he's just hearing for the first time about the Chorim Beis HaMikdash. Who's, who's being discussed by the Gemara? He's just hearing about it now for the first time. Who didn't know about it that he just heard about it now? So Rashash discusses, perhaps, it's discussing about Shuva, that he, for the first time, heard about the Chorim Beis HaMikdash. Other Pesim don't really accept that because it's not new information. Hashemeah sounds like it's new information. That's just something uh, you weren't personally aware of. However, I believe that uh, in our times, if they will relinquish control of certain parts of Yushalayim or certain parts of the Ari Yehuda, give it back entirely uh, to the Arabs, then even those of us in Chutzlaris would be obligated to rise Kriya here. Because that's a Shemea. You just heard about it. The new information, the relinquished control. And the whole reason we don't tear Kriya is because we do control it. So perhaps they would relinquish control would be obligated to tear Kriya here. Either way, we do not tear the practices, as we mentioned, not to tear Kriya for the Arihuda, for Yushalayim, but we do continue to tear Kriya for the Mokma Migdash. And that in itself represents the tension that we feel uh, at this time is uh, where we're besimcha and we have a karsatayv, of course, to Kaddish Baruch Hu, that we have the opportunity to live in these times when these areas are controlled by Jews, but at the same time, we lament, we cannot allow that to overshadow the fact that we don't have a base HaMikdash, and we continue to mourn that by rising Kriyat the Mokma Mikdash and Amir Tashem, our uh, 
Simcha, Karsa Tavta, Karish Barahu, Arveus, continued Aveus for Yushalayim, should uh, allow us to see Bimhervi Omenu, the coming of uh, Mashiach, the Kenu, the Binyan by Ashlishi, and the uh, Beis Hamikdash, Bibinyano, Bimhervi Omenu, Amen. Amen.